your Bibles, I'm going to have, go ahead and ask you to turn to Psalm 96. I know some of you are going, man, it's already 1050. You know a sermon now? Yeah? And apparently I thought it was short, but when I did it, it's still the same length as the other ones, so we'll just talk fast. Uh, we'll see how much we get through. Uh, I don't think there's really much more of an introduction to do. Really what, what Andy has already done is our introduction. And so we're in Psalm 96. We're looking kind of at missions today. Next week we'll be in missions also. We'll be in uh, Third John next week. The title today is Behold Our God. If you're using the white Bibles in front of you, the page is 554. And I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand and we're going to read God's Word. One thing we do here is we stand at the reading of God's Word. We do so because we believe it comes with God's full authority and inspiration. Psalm 96. O sing, to, <clears throat> o sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let me pray. God, you are a great God and you are greatly to be praised. You do mighty and wonderful works. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. There is none that compares to you. All the earth is to tremble before you. Creation longs for your return. And now, Lord, as we come into your word, give us wisdom today. Help us to understand your word. May your spirit work in our hearts May you fan the flame of faith that we have in you. God, may we be in awe of your glory, and may we desire and delight in proclaiming your greatness and your grace in this world. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. This psalm, it's it's likely written by King David um, after the Ark of the Covenant was moved into Jerusalem. We know this because in 1 Chronicles 16, David composes a song of praise to God after the Ark has moved into, uh, into Jerusalem. And verses 23 to 23 of that song uh, come from here, Psalm 98. And so this is a momentous time in Israel's history. God has defeated Israel's enemies. His ark has now come into Jerusalem, which is the capital, the city of David, the city of God. 
and it represents God's rule and God's nations, or God's rule and his presence um, with the people of Israel. And so as momentous as the time of excitement, they're proclaiming for the people of Israel to praise God and yet also not be limited to only the praise of Israel, but for that praise to go beyond the walls and all nations to come and praise God. And that's what we're going to look at today. The title today is Behold Our God, and as our first point, our God is great and greatly to be praised. That's what I want us to see today, that we have a great God. Do you know that? We serve a great God, and because He is great and glorious, He is worthy of all praise and worship. I mean, notice, here in the very beginning, Three times we have sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Then we have tell. We have tell of of His glory. And we have declare His glory among the nations. Why is the psalmist calling for all the earth to praise this God? Look at verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. If you go back in verse 3, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works. He does great works. Why does He do great works? Because verse 4, He is a great God. Like we don't praise Him for the works and that's it. The works move back and point to His glory. That's why we praise Him. He does great works because He is a great God. And this is the God that we serve. And so what I want to do, I just want to walk through just some scripture. And I just want to help us behold our God today in God's word. And so I'm not going to give every reference. I'll give you some. But I just want you to think about the God that we we come and we gather here. Like I'm humbled by the point as Andy serves and says, you know, we don't have a church family in the country that they're at. And this they don't have. So when we gather here, let us remember that we have a great God, that He is taking what we do here. And as we proclaim His name, and and His name is being proclaimed everywhere so that there would be people of every tribe and every tongue and every language gathering like this to praise His name. And so let me just, I want to speak first. Let me just give some things on God's power. Genesis 1, we see that God speaks creation into existence. By His words, the cosmos appears. Mountains rise up out of the ground. Stars illuminate the skies. In Isaiah 40, we read this. God sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are grasshoppers. That's you. That's me who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. His very presence, if you remember Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments, makes the mountains shake and tremble. And in fact, in Micah chapter 1-4, we read that when Christ comes, the mountains will melt under him the valleys will split open like wax before the fire like waters pour down a steep 
place. He is the God who turns creation upside down when he brings the ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And we're told that when he brings them to the Red Sea, it's the blast of his nostrils that parts the Red Sea, dries the ground, and the walls, and there are walls of water as Israel passes through. He is the God that sends fire to consume Sodom and Gomorrah. He is the God who opens up the ground at his will to swallow those who rebel against him. If you remember number 17, Korah's rebellion. Our God uses mere sound of instruments to bring down the mighty walls of Jericho. He is the one who can empower a man like Samson to overcome 3,000 enemies by his bare hands. It is at his voice that cedars break and the wilderness shakes. The psalmist cries out, God is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Behold, that is our God. This is the God that we see every time we come into Scripture. God's perfection. Our God is perfect in every way. Psalm 33 says, The word of the Lord is upright. All His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 84 says that the dwelling place of God is lovely, and a day is better in His household than a thousand elsewhere. Every word that God speaks is true. His law is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is more to be desired than gold. His words are sweeter than honey, than the drippings of a honeycomb. He is the treasure chest of all wisdom. He is blazing, pure, radiant light. There's no stain, no blemish, no darkness within Him. He is perfect in every way. Behold, that is our God as as we see in Scripture. His very presence. God in His very presence contains all joy and pleasures forevermore. Do you know that? Coming into the presence of God, there is joy and perfection. He is the one who can turn our mourning into dancing. And Matthew 28, He promises He will be with us to the very end of the age. We cannot separate from Him. Not in the belly of a well, in the bottom of a sea, not in a den of lions, not in a fiery furnace, and not in enemy territory. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Do you know that our God is in all places, at all times, seeing all things his very being fills the universe this is our god this is who we come when we come into scripture god's provision our god is the god of comfort who comforts those who are in affliction he is the one who redeems us and calls us by our name he provided manna for his people for 40 years in the wilderness he brings water out of rocks Jesus feeds 5,000 and 4,000 people with mere loaves and fishes. He gives wisdom and strength to those who ask. He is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great 
joy. This is our God. It isn't. This is our God. Every time we come into Scripture, this is the God that we reveal. When we come and we gather, this is the God we worship. When we see that we have friends that go to other nations, this is the God that we proclaim. He is great. He does great works. The psalm begins by calling people, sing, tell, declare. Who else would we declare? Think about it. Why would we not stand on our rooftops proclaiming this God if He is who He is? In verse 5, we see all other gods are worthless. Now, the point is not that there are actually other gods, just lesser. That's not the point. But that all alternatives are worthless. They're made by man, imagined by man, created by man to serve man. The point is all false gods are an invention invention of man. Which is why at the end of verse 5 we have this contrast. All the gods of men are worthless. And then it says, but Yahweh, our Lord, made the heavens. And so in uh, this time period, Israel is surrounded by pagan nations. Well, who do the pagan nations worship? They worship the sun. They worship the moon. They worship the stars. They worship Jupiter. They worship all of these things that have been created. And so now we're told our God makes the heavens. The very things that these people are saying, we worship this, and we come and say, well, we worship the God with, with His very words, spoke them into existence. Now, Romans 1 gives us understanding why we don't actually worship this God. Romans 1 tells us that it's because of our sinful nature. We are born into this world as sinners. And, and therefore, rather than worshiping God, we worship creation. In fact, it talks about this exchange that we have done. Rather than worshiping the God who has created all things because of our sin, we rebel against Him, we reject His authority, and we worship His good creation. We look at His great gifts, we look at the wonderful works, and we stop there rather than doing what those works are meant to do, helping trace them back up to the One who gives them and does them to God. I want you to think... uh, If we look at a window, windows are are transparent for the purpose of what? For looking through them. And so one thing I I, I wish my house had, it doesn't even come close to this because there's trees all around my yard. Uh, I would love to have one of those gigantic windows that opens up and Mount Rainier is right there. I would love to wake up to that every morning and to have my cup of coffee and sit in front of that window and to have a large gigantic 14er right there and just look at that i just think that'd be amazing i mean every day i mean just doing the bible study there and going god you are my rock and how how mighty and powerful this rock is and yet no oh my god is so much bigger and when christ returns this mountain will melt like wax in his presence I would love for that to be. But imagine now I bring a friend over and they come and they look at the window and they join me there and they go, look at the window. And I go, I know. Look through it. And they say, no, no, the window. Look at the glass. Is this this double pane? This probably gives you great insulation. Look at this trim. Look at this mold. I mean, this, this is a great window. I say, yeah, but the window is here for the purpose of looking through the window. That's why I have a window. And they say, no, no, no. I, I like the window. 
The window is incredible. Windows are not made to look at windows. Windows are made to be seen through for the purpose of seeing that which is beyond them. And so God gives us great works. Now, His great works, we are meant to enjoy. We are meant to love them and delight in them. But ultimately, the way that we delight in them is by not just staring at them, but looking through them as we do through a window that it would bring us to the very glory of God. And we would see that this gift that we have points back to the ultimate giver who has made it for our enjoyment, but ultimately for His very glory. But it is because of our sin that we look at windows rather than through windows and we make gods of the very things that God has given us as gifts rather than to use them as a means of looking back to the giver. John Calvin says that we do this because we are idol-making factories. Our hearts are bent on creating idols, bent on turning creation into our God. This is what John Piper writes. He writes, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Do you know that? Missions is temporary. We do that on this age. And Piper is right, because worship does not exist, but to qualify, it does exist everywhere. Right worship does not exist. But believe me, as people who are created, we are created to worship. And it is not a matter of if we worship, it is a matter of who and what we worship. We do worship. The question is, do we worship God or what else? So, Piper is right. Worship, true worship does not exist. That's why missions exist. But there's a day coming. Do you know this? Isn't this good? There's a day coming. Missions will be done. Because there will be nowhere to go in all of the new heavens and new earth where God's name is not proclaimed by every person. This is our God. He, does, he is great and greatly to be praised. And because of this, our God alone is worthy of all worship. We see this in verses 6 through 8. We read three times the word ascribe, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Verse 7, ascribe glory and strength. And the word ascribe means to give, it's to acknowledge all glory, all strength comes from Him. Verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name, meaning all glory comes from from him and is due him. So I just want to point out two things. One, all glory and honor belongs to God. When we worship God and we praise him and we honor him, we're simply giving back to him what already belongs to him. Do you know that? We're giving to him that which belongs to him. In Exodus chapter 20, that's where we read about the Ten Commandments. And the second command, you shall not make for yourself the carved of carved image. We read in verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Do you know that God is jealous? Why does He say He's jealous? Well, He's jealous for His glory. He's jealous because His glory 
all the glory is due Him. And when we take His glory and we, we give it to ourselves or to others, our work, our jobs, sex, possessions, we're taking that which belongs to God and we're giving it to something else. We're committing spiritual adultery, spiritual whoredom at that moment. Now, Oprah, when she reads this, she says, because God is jealous, I can't believe in that God. But she's foolish because she doesn't actually read and understand what the text is saying. Imagine this. If a wife sleeps with a man other than her husband, her husband would be jealous, right? And be angry because that which is rightfully his, which has been given to him in covenant relationship, her body, her love, all that she has is now his and all that he has is hers. If that is given to another Should he not be jealous? Of course, it would be wrong if he wasn't jealous. We'd say, well, what's wrong with this guy? Does he not love his wife? And because God is supreme and holy in every way, all glory is due him. And so he is jealous for his glory because it is his. I want you to think about it. Everything we have comes from God. Do you know that? Where you slept last night comes from God. Whether it's your house, a friend's house, whatever type of shelter you were under, it's by God's grace. The fact that you had air in your tires and they functioned this morning and got you here, that's God's grace. The fact that you have organs that are working at this moment, sustaining your life, God's grace. The fact that you're able to work, they're able to see, able to hear, able to move, God's grace. Everything that we have comes from God. Therefore, all glory is due back to God. Secondly, worship involves giving, not only receiving. The word ascribe means to give. When we worship, we come not just to receive, but to give. Look, verse 8 says, bring an offering and come into his courts. And so, my son Ben, he and I, so he's a basketball nut. And he loves the Warriors, and so Steph Curry is playing today, probably at 5 o'clock, I think, Game 2, NBA Finals. That's what we're going to be doing. 5 o'clock, well, probably 5.30, because I like DVR, and I hate commercials. Uh, But we will watch that basketball game, because that brings so much delight to him. And when we watch that, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to receive. Only receive We will not participate. We will give nothing to them. We will simply eat popcorn, probably drink Coke, and some other ridiculous snacks. And that is what we will do. We will have absolutely no means of attributing to them at all. And unfortunately, that is a picture of much worship that takes place within the church today. I want you to think about this. When we gather like this, have we come to receive or do we come to give also? How do we come? Because when we come to worship our God, it's not simply receiving the grace that He gives, but also how do we receive that we would then give? My mom it does an amazing job of this. So uh, gathering with the church each week on Sundays, she loves to show up early so that she can greet every single person. She goes to a large church, so she'll greet every single person in her section in the church. And she's one of the only people that does that. So now, after a while, in the beginning, she said it was awkward. Like everyone was like, what are you doing? But now people look for her. They long for her. Listen, when we gather at the church, listen, don't, don't come at 10 o'clock. At 10.05, at 10.10. I know some of you are like, I told you. I'm saying, 
But we come for the purpose to serve, to give. So come early, stay late. I know it doesn't always work every time, but how do we come? When we sing, don't sing quietly. Men, if you sing like this, and you can't even hear your voice sing, your, your own voice singing, think about not only what you're teaching, think about what you're teaching those around you. Think about what you're teaching my children and the children around you. Oh, so, so this is how we praise. No, sing and praise. Give glory to God in such a way that you show others our God is great and greatly to be praised. Now, this is why I sit in the front. So there's only a few people that might hear me sing. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So sit where you need to, but let us sing. And when you hear the sermon, so many of us, we walk away, well, was, it, was the Sunday good? Oh, no, I didn't really like the sermon, so that's what then judge. No, no, the sermon's always good because that's the Word of God. Now, I might mess up things, but the message is good because it's the Word of God. Let us come to hear, to receive, that then we might give, whether we're giving back to our children whether we're teaching our loved ones, whether we're teaching those we work with, our God is preparing us to go to nations overseas where we teach these gospel truths that we have learned week in and week out for the purpose of seeing people from every tribe, tongue, and language come to know the gospel. Let us hear, not for it to simply stop here, but for it to then be given to others. We come to give. Romans 12.1 says, this is Paul writing, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But God has saved you and saved me. And the amazing thing is, He uses us to proclaim His glory every day. Our very lives, our very breath is now meant to give Him glory wherever we are. So our lives are His now. Because He's purchased them with His blood that we would live with Him for all of eternity, experiencing His joy and His glory and His greatness. So let our prayers be, God, wherever You want me to go, I will go. Whatever You want me to do, I will do. That is the living sacrifice. Lastly, I want us to see our God is the righteous king that all of creation desires. So I want to do something here. Um, instead of starting in verse 10, let's start in verse 13 and work our way back. Verse 13, we see God is the righteous king who is coming to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So, so this is what we have. We have there is a day coming when God is coming to bring judgment. Now oftentimes, that's presented preach, spoken about in a way that's a terrible day. It's a day we want to avoid. But that's not how it's presented here. Notice that it's not. What we have is Israel has brought the Ark of the Covenant. They've seen the defeat of the nations. They're praising God. His rule, His presence is here. They're, they're excited about that. They're celebrating that. They want all nations to know this rule, God's presence, God's blessing. And so because of this, they're crying out, oh, there's a day coming, and there's full of excitement. And then as we step back, not only is God's people excited about this, but look at verses 11 through 12. Creation itself is excited about this day. There we see the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the fields long for this day. In fact, the trees of the forest, they sing for joy. So just think about that when you see them blowing in the wind. I don't know, they're singing, 
for joy the day that God returns. Now, verse 11 says, and all that fills the sea. So the blue whales, the dolphins, the seals, the sharks, and you go on. They long for this day. Verse 12 says, all that is in the fields, the daisies, the tulips, the roses, the dandelions, they long for this day. This is the day that creation has been looking forward to for thousands of years. Do you know that? Why? Why does creation long for the return of God? Why does it long for our God to come? Because we read this in Romans 8. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, when Adam and Eve, they took the fruit and they sinned and they rebelled against God, we're told in Genesis 3 that not only was man cursed, woman cursed, but also all of creation was cursed at that moment. Now why? Creation didn't take the fruit. Creation did nothing. Why is it cursed? So I think, I think this comes from John Piper. I couldn't remember exactly. I tried looking for it. But I believe it's him that gave this illustration. When you have a young child and they rebel and reject their parent's authority, the, the parent might take the child and spank the child. Now they, they spank the bottom of the child. The bottom might turn red, right? No. The child's butt did nothing in this. Like, right? Like, it, it was innocent for the most part. It had no really working in this sin. But it feels the pain, right, of the punishment. Now, why? Why do we do that? It's in hopes that the child will remember, wow, that, that rebellion and rejection against my parents' authority, what? there's pain there. I don't like that. It hurts to sit right now. Right? And so now think about it. Now when we look at creation, and we see this just isn't right. There's pain. There's suffering. There's toils. There's injustice. What, what does that help us to know? What, there's, a, there's consequences for the rejection and the rebellion against God's rule. This is not the way it was intended to be. And so creation itself longs for the day it will be set free from the futility of bondage to sin. It looks, for, it looks forward to that day. And so just as, just as God's people long for this day, just as creation longs to this day, verse 10, Say among the nations the Lord reigns. You hear this? We long for it. Creation longs for it. The overflow of our worship goes to the nations and we call them to worship our God. Listen, worship precedes missions. Missions is the natural result. The overflow of a heart that loves God moves towards missions. As God's people, we long for God to come and rule in righteousness. And who is this king that we wait for? Well, we know it's none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one 
who is the glorious, radiant image of God. At his words, the roaring sea has turned to glass. Demons have been cast out. Sickness and disease is healed. To see Jesus is to see God. He perfectly kept God's law. There is no blemish, no stain within him. He is light. He is God's ultimate provision who has come to this world to die on a cross because we have rebelled and rejected God. So therefore, he has come to die on the cross that he would be that propitious, remember, wrath-bearing sacrifice. He would absorb, propitious, the wrath of God so that we who believe in him would have forgiveness of sins and we'd be brought into his kingdom as citizens, be brought into his family as children of his family, that we would have forgiveness of sins, we would have his righteousness, and we'd be guaranteed to live in the new heavens and new earth with God for all of eternity. In Psalm 96, we have a song, and it says, this is a new song. It's a song celebrating God's grace, the defeat of the enemies, the bringing of God's ark, his presence, and his rule into Jerusalem. There's another place we read about a new song. And in Revelation 5, and I'll just read this. I'll have you go read it later, if you will. Revelation 5, starting in verse 9. And this is a song that begins also because of God's grace. And in this song, we have a glimpse of what is being sung in heaven right now. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people. For God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Listen, there's a day coming, and it is a day of terror for those who do not know God. They would rather have rocks fall on them than experience God's judgment. But listen, for us who have trusted in Christ, this is a day of excitement. This is a day of joy. This is the day that we enter into God's presence so that he will make a new heavens and new earth. We'll never be separated from him. We will experience perfectly his joy, his blessing, his rule. And so what do we do now as we wait? We tell the nations. We proclaim the greatness of God. And what's good, we already know from Revelation 5, he has purchased a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, right? So when we go to the nations, it's not in vain. It's not, man, I hope this works. Man, this seems like a good idea. No, we know it will work because God has purchased a people from every tribe. That doesn't mean from every country. It means from every people group which resides in countries. Notice how this psalm is all about the worship of God spilling over to the nations. Verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Verse 9, tremble before him all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The result of beholding our God, of worshiping him, is that he must be proclaimed. For what else would we do? Let me just give one simple illustration. Um, as parents, we love talking about our children, right? 
We brag on their first steps, on their first words, on their academic accomplishments, on their sports accomplishments. I mean, it doesn't take much. We can brag on our kids about anything. In fact, Andy's at my house last night. I bragged on my daughter. And I was even thinking about this. I'm like, man, this is so weird. I just love talking about my kids. Um, We tell people about our kids because we delight in them. And our delight and our love in our kids, in order to it, for it to find full expression, in order for that joy that we have in our children to be consummated, it must be told. That, that's part of the joy. Imagine, if I never talked about my kids, never talked about my wife, never talked about God, what would you begin to wonder? Does he like his family? Is he a Christian? This is weird. No, the joy that we have in order to it find its full expression must be spoken. It must be shared. And so if I and you, we love talking about our kids, or whatever it is that we love to delight in talking about, how much more do we delight in talking about the God who has created us and brought us into His very presence for all of existence that we'd be forgiven and have righteousness and share in His glory for all of eternity. Who else would we talk about? Why else would we leave and go to other nations? In order for us to go, our God must be great and He must be glorious. And that is the God that we have of this Word. That is the God of the Bible. So a couple just things. Wherever you're at, we must start in God's Word. If you're not a believer here today, we start in God's Word. If you're a believer here today, beginner or mature, however you want to classify yourself, God's Word. God's Word must be the priority because it's in God's Word we see God's glory. It's in God's Word we see how all that He has done finds its fullest expression in Jesus Christ coming as our Lord and Savior that we would have eternal life and that He would be glorified. We must come into the Word of God. Parents, Demonstrate this to your children. Children, be in the Word. Don't rely upon your parents for their, but, but come into your Word. Share the Word with others. And number two, know the Word, share the Gospel where you're at. If you're at home, share the Gospel there. You say, well, my kids know Jesus. Great, talk about them. Right? My wife is a Christian. Great, talk to her. At work, talk about the Gospel Where we are, we have very little to lose compared to people in other nations if we share the gospel. Let us take advantage of that. Let us give to the church, and I don't necessarily mean financially at this moment. Let's just give to the church. Let us be people who love the people, give to the people, take what God has done for us and share with others and love them and encourage them and strengthen them. Let us be people who don't just receive but come to give. And let us go. I pray, let our desire to be, let us go wherever God would have us. Wherever God would have us. Joshua Project. So get on joshuaproject.net. Great website. Talks about unreached people groups. There are 17,009 people groups in the world right now. That's about 7.47 billion people. 7,078 are unreached people groups. That's about 3.14 billion people. 41.6% of people groups are unreached. That is 42% of the world's population. So those of you who say, man, Jesus might come back anytime. Yeah, he might. But we know that there's going to be people coming from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we got 7,000 people groups to get to. 
So if we're serious about Christ's return, what are we serious about? Missions. That is the overflow of our worship. Romans 10 says this, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? How, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is beautiful to go. I pray that we would be a church that not only would support people like, like Andy and Lindsay, that we won't just support a missions team like Lebanon and hopefully many more teams that will go and visit the missionaries that we have. But I pray that every year we're calling people to leave America and go to other nations. That is the result of the gospel. It doesn't mean that's where we're all going, but we should see that more and more and more. So I just encourage you, pray, God, I am a living sacrifice for you. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? Let me close with one quote from William Carey. William Carey is, is considered the father of modern missions. He went to India. When I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have a God, and His word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I was deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on the sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. Don't worry if you feel equipped or don't feel equipped. It doesn't really matter. God's Spirit will equip you. And our God's cause will be fulfilled. And so let us just simply go wherever you want me, God. I want to be there. For you are a great and glorious God. I'm going to call. Uh, I'm going to pray. Men will come forward. And we will take communion. And, uh, and we'll go from there. Father, you are a great and glorious God. You are greatly to be praised. God, I pray that our hearts are stirred today by your word, by your glory, by the fact that, God, there is none like you. You are glorious in every way. God, may our worship of you result in the proclamation of you everywhere, wherever we go. God, we thank you for your son Jesus. In your name, amen. And have the men come forward.